0: This is Laura London, and you're listening to a special quarantine edition of Speaking of Jung. I started this new series in the spring of 2020 during the coronavirus lockdown when I decided to spend my extra time at home interviewing some of my friends about the interesting work that they do. Joining us today for the eighth edition in this series is former police officer and private military contractor, Mr. John Herlosky in Los Angeles, California. He studied mathematics and physics at Marquette University and earned a degree in administration of justice. He has worked for the Minneapolis Police Department and the LAPD as a police officer.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa stop. Stop. Okay. you never worked for Minneapolis.
0: You didn't. Okay.
1: No, no. Milwaukee.
0: Milwaukee. I always get those two cities mixed up. I was there last year doing an episode of the podcast, and I kept calling it <laughs> Minneapolis because I was in M- Minneapolis the year before yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. So, Milwaukee Police Department and the LAPD as a police officer and academy instructor yep. and has been trained in SWAT tactics and is a designated marksman. Mr. Herlosky is considered an expert in the field of human performance technologies And has spent half his life in the martial arts. He was the co-director and co-founder of the non-profit think tank the Institute for Evolutionary Technologies, as well as the co-director of Project Trojan Warrior II, a mind-body integration training program. His book, A Sorcerer's Apprentice, A Skeptic's Journey into the CIA's Project Stargate, was published by Trine Day in 2015. It follows the story of his journey into the realm of remote viewing, a CIA-sponsored program training psychic spies to extend their consciousness to accurately describe targets not only half a world away, but to look into past events and the future as well. It all sounded like science fiction to Mr. Herlosky after reading an exposé by former member of Project Stargate, Dr. David Morehouse. Two years later, skeptical but intrigued by the possibilities implied, he entered the classroom of Dr. Morehouse to find out the truth and never looked back. A Sorcerer's Apprentice is an autobiographical account of Mr. Herlosky's experience learning the CIA-sponsored scientifically validated form of extrasensory perception known as remote viewing. The book chronicles his journey from interested skeptic to operational remote viewer working his first mission, as well as his former life as a police officer and private military contractor. He takes you on a journey from the crushing depths and pathos of the wreck of the Titanic to the fate of a downed pilot missing for 19 years from the first Gulf War. He details his personal turmoil as his long-held beliefs clashed with the powerful implications of his experiences. I, too, studied with Dr. David Morehouse over the course of several years, becoming proficient in the protocols of both coordinate remote viewing and extended remote viewing. So I asked Mr. Herlowski to record an episode with me to help me describe to everyone who has ever asked me about my experiences with remote viewing. Please visit the website speakingofjung.com, where you'll find links to all of the books and papers that we discuss in the show notes. This interview is being recorded on Wednesday, July two 2020, through the magic of Skype. Hi John. How do? Hi. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this with me today. I really appreciate it. I've been wanting I've been wanting to do, do this for so long because whenever I mention remote viewing, either people think it's something that it isn't or people have no idea what it is. And it kind of drives me crazy because it's not an easy thing to explain.
1: Yes. Yeah, so that's very- that's true. That's very true.
0: What would you say or what do you say when people ask you what remote viewing is? So if maybe we can give a short definition immediately and then unpack it for the next hour or so.
1: Yes, of course. Um, I'll tell you. It's one of my biggest, um, oh, I don't know what you'd call it, um, peccadillos, I guess.
0: Pet peeves?
1: Yes, pet peeves. Right. You I'm have too. people out there that are saying, oh, I've been remote viewing since I was born, and <laughs> oh, I remote view all the time, and all this stuff. Yes,
0: I've heard that too.
1: Yes, and it, nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, there are a number of terms that are used in psychic um, areas. Uh, First of all is the the basic overall term of Psi, PSI, which encompasses all of the psychic abilities, uh, from clairvoyance to precognition to telepathy, uh, psychokinesis, and so on. Um, Psi is basically the overall encompassing term that... Describes the human ability to do anomalous cognition, if you will. Okay, uh, you have the terms of ESP, psychic functioning, uh, clairvoyance, for instance. All of these things are again uh, terms for the natural human ability to be able to describe. Persons, places, objects, or events distant in space and time, but outside the normal five modes of perception. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you basically have a number of different terms encompassing a human attribute, a human ability. Remote viewing actually has nothing to do with any of that. Yeah. I mean, over the years of um, experimentation done with extrasensory perception, it's been found that virtually everyone has some ability. It seems to be a uh, Poisson distribution, the bell-shaped curve. You have some people who have a tremendous ability. On one end of the tail of the uh, bell, and then you have on the other end people who have the psychic ability of a sack of hammers. But most people have at least some ability, and that's what's been found so far in testing. Now, this is a natural ability, okay? Um, It's basically given by genetics, I guess.
0: A basic ability that everybody has, whether they know it or not.
1: Yes, exactly. And you only have so much. It's just like um, the difference between myself and Michael Jordan in basketball. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan is an outstanding example of physical ability in in, um, basketball. And then you have someone like me who is a dilettante. It so, illustrates the idea that it's a natural ability
2: mm-hmm.
1: Okay, you're only given so much and then you have to use whatever you can to make it a part of your life, to make it usable. Okay. And that was the whole idea way back in the seventies when the intelligence services first began getting information that the Soviets were heavily invested in trying to use psychic ability as an intelligence uh, methodology. When our intelligence services found out about that, they felt that given the fact that the Soviets were so heavily invested that perhaps they should check out whether or not this was a viable threat against the United States. Mm -hmm. And so they brought people in who were natural psychics, who had the ability in order to find out whether or not this, number one, represented a threat to the United States. And number two, could it be used by the United States as a viable method of intelligence gathering? And this started what is more popularly referred to as the Stargate program, the use of uh, psychic ability as an intelligence gathering uh, methodology. So they used a couple of uh, laser physicists, Hal Putoff and uh, Russell Tard, and a couple of natural psychics, um, foremost being Ingo Swann. And they developed this protocol and methodology called remote viewing. Remote viewing is an artifice. It's completely artificial. It really doesn't have anything to do per se with psychic functioning. Mm -hmm. And if you are on the tail end of the bell shaped curve and have virtually no ability, learning remote viewing won't make you any better. All remote viewing is is simply a standardized format used under sci- um, scientific protocols to make it easier, number one, to teach, and number two, to standardize the responses of psychics to make it easier to um, disseminate the information that they br- that they bring forth. So basically what it comes down to is remote viewing is nothing more than a methodology and a protocol that uses natural human psychic ability. It it and of itself, it's not psychic at all.
0: And you had no psychic ability when you started, right?
1: Well, that's not true. I didn't know of my psychic. Okay. okay. I was just ignorant of it. I'd never had any psychic um, instances in my life. I'd never had any psychic apparitions occur or anything that you could point to that was psychic in any way, shape, or form.
0: But then what made you interested enough to... Learn Remote Viewing to take that class with Dr. Morehouse.
1: Well, as I said, I was a skeptic, you know, not having any experience that could be pointed to as psychic. I frankly didn't believe that it was real. I mean, all of the information that I had seen and read about at that time, this is back in the um, late 90s, said that it was an unusual and not replicatable ability. But one day, I happened to come across a book by the name of Psychic Warrior, written by Dr. David Morehouse. And it was that at that point that I realized that not only was ESP a real phenomenon, but that the United States government actually utilized it for 20 years as a method of intelligence gathering, and I mean that—that that just blew me away.
0: So, how did you happen upon that book, Psychic Warrior?
1: <laughs> Young would love this. Okay. Synchronicities. Yeah. Synchronicities. I just happened to walk into a bookstore. Really. Um,
0: and you had never heard of remote viewing prior no, to that.
1: No. No.
0: And what year I was that? To
1: a- What's that?
0: What year was that? Did that you found the oh, book? That was
1: uh, that would have been nineteen ninety seven, I think, late 1997. Okay. And I happened to notice this distinctively decorated book cover mm-hmm. with the the title Psychic Warrior, and I thought it was fiction. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was fiction. I thought it was fiction, and I opened it up and looked at the inside. Flap to see what it was about, and it was there that I realized that this wasn't fiction, this was real, this was nonfiction,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that the United States government had been using psychics as a means of intelligence gathering. Um, I mean, it was just it just blew me away. Mm-hmm. I mean, how could this be?
0: so let's because it does get a little confusing when we use the word psychic and we talk about psychics yet remote viewing is a learned protocol so one does not have to have practiced as a psychic or develop their psychic abilities it is the learned ability to transcend space and time so Let's talk a little bit about the author of this book that we both read and who we both know and trained with. And I've said this before, and I'll say this, uh, probably for the rest of my life that Dr. David Morehouse has been one of the greatest teachers I've ever had. And I don't think a day goes by that I don't think about or utilize something he taught me. And I've told him that in Dave, if you're listening, thank you again. So let's talk a little bit about who he is and why he wrote this book, because he didn't start out as a psychic.
1: No, actually, Dave and I um, have parallel development, if -hmm. you will, in um, uh, psychic ability. Uh, Dave was like me. He had never experienced any type of psychic um, functioning When he was younger, I had no experience in it and frankly was a skeptic about it. And it wasn't until, um, as a special operations, uh, soldier that he, during some intelligent work that intelligence work that he was doing, that he found out about the remote viewing program and. Dave had a rather unusual introduction to uh, psychic functioning in that prior to an incident in Jordan, he had never had any experience of it. But in Jordan, while training Jordanian paratroopers in various aspects of um, small unit tactics, he was... uh, accidentally shot in the head by a machine gun bullet which impacted his helmet just about an inch um above the um the lowest level of the the helmet he was extraordinarily fortunate that it struck the helmet instead of him
0: yeah it's a kevlar helmet i actually held it in my hands i'm sure you've seen it too Yeah, so have I. And it knocked him unconscious. The the impact of the bullet, the the Kevlar caught the bullet, but the impact knocked him unconscious for like forty-five minutes.
1: Yeah, he was knocked out for quite some time and suffered a concussion. But after that happened, he started having visions. Um, Now, visions are kind of in a put it an anomalous area of psychic functioning um you can have a vision that isn't necessarily psychic in nature Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but you can also have a vision that is and dave started having such things and when he found out about the fact that they were looking for people who had had unusual circumstances happen in their lives vis-a-vis psychic functioning um, He put an application in and he was interviewed accepted and Began to be taught Remote viewing and this is one of the things that people have to understand you have a natural ability for extrasensory perception all remote viewing does is teach you a standardized way of utilizing that function under scientific protocol. Okay. Remote viewing has to be learned. You don't start remote viewing all your life just because you're psychic. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. You have to learn it. You have to learn the protocol and the methodologies and the corollaries that go with it. Secondly, Remote viewing is. has to be done under scientific protocol, meaning that if it isn't done under the scientific protocol, it's not remote viewing. And basically, what that comes down to is. If it's done under a scientific protocol, then it can be replicated. It can be subject to peer review. And it can be experimented with under standardized methodologies Mm -hmm. so that it can be replicated. And that matches what the scientific method is. And that's the big difference between remote viewing and psychic functioning. You have to have some psychic ability for remote viewing to work. But if you do psychic functioning under remote viewing protocol, then it's remote viewing.
0: So people are doing other things, and sometimes they're calling it remote viewing. And it's not remote viewing unless it is based on the protocols that were developed by who you mentioned earlier, the two laser physicists at Stanford Research Institute, Hal Putoff, who's been in the news a lot lately because he's part of the new To the Stars Academy, and Russell Targ. They were, as Dr. Morehouse calls them, the early on heroes in this project. But they helped um, develop this protocol, and they used Ingo Swan, who was a natural psychic. He was an artist based in New York City. He's since passed away, but doctors uh, Targ and putoff are still alive. Um, so they developed the protocol, and that was what the military used, right? And so one of the things that I'd like for you to explain is who teaches this protocol.
1: Well, the methodologies are several. Um, methodology isn't so much important other than it's a standardized way of teaching how to use your psychic ability. Remember that remote viewing is an artifice. It's artificial. It was developed under scientific protocol. It was a scientific way of utilizing natural human psychic ability. So, when they developed um, these ideas, uh, it was Ingo Swan who actually coined the term remote viewing. Uh, the term is his, and that was back in, 19, I believe, 1972. But they came up with um, with Russ and Hal, came up with the scientific protocol, which meant that you had to use your psychic functioning under this protocol for it to be remote viewing. And basically, the most important part of that is the fact that remote viewers are always working in the blind, as we say, meaning they have no idea what the target is. Yeah. The um, the basic idea is, is that if you have no idea what the target, then any information that you develop using your psychic skills must be real data. And so between the three of them, they came up with this idea and this methodology or this protocol for um, remote viewing in order to keep it such that if they were ever interrogated regarding the efficacy of remote viewing, they could point out that all of the remote viewing was done under a scientific protocol so that it could be replicated and subject to peer review. And so that was one of the reasons why um, remote viewing came into being. Now, after it was found that experimentation showed that they could accurately describe objects, persons, places, or things in distant space and time, it was realized that this was a real intelligence um, coup, that they could get information using this technology that was not amenable to more standardized methods of intelligence gathering.
0: Right, so it was used for things that we had no other option for.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Admiral Stansfield-Turner used to say that I don't care if the remote viewing program only came up with 5% accurate data. That was 5% accurate data that we could not have gotten any other way.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. But they did more than just 5%. They made some astounding um, discoveries.
0: And I think that that's one of the pitfalls in the reputation that remote viewing had is people want numbers. Well, how accurate is it? And then they'll point to the failures of it or the weaknesses of it. And you know what? Nothing is 100%. And oh, as,
2: I know. <laughs> as, as
0: Dr. Morehouse would say, this is just another tool in the toolbox it is not to be used alone It is to be used with alongside other uh, modalities of gathering data information intelligence it's exactly it's it's another tool in the toolbox and so yes it has a lot of detractors but i think that that, well remote viewing
1: was never designed to be 100% accurate. Uh, no more than eyewitness testimony is 100% accurate. If you get six people uh, together that witnessed, let's say, an, an accident or a, a crime, and you ask each one of them what they saw, you're going to get six different accounts. It's the same thing with psychic functioning. It's a human ability. Mm-hmm never designed to be 100% accurate, it will never be 100% accurate. No more than you're going to get testimony from a human being's eyewitness account that's going to be 100% accurate. It just isn't going to happen. But the important thing to remember is, is that remote viewing can get you information that you can't get by satellites or signals, intercepts, or even people on the ground. That's the important feature to remember about remote viewing. It can get you information that you can't get otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I had asked you earlier about who teaches it, and that's another, uh, that's one of my pet peeves, is it seems like all these people started teaching remote viewing because they read a book or took a weekend <laughs> seminar. and. For me, like with this podcast, where I interview Jungian analysts, I always want to go straight to the source. I mean, Why not? They're still around. So there are a number of individuals who were part of the original program, the United States Government Program, uh, now, in the title of your book, it mentions the CIA, and I've heard Dr. David Morehouse referred to as a CIA remote viewer. Now, as far as I know, he was part of the Defense Intelligence Agency and not the CIA. Is that true?
1: Well, you have to remember that the remote viewing program actually was funded by a number of different agencies Mm -hmm. throughout its um, 20-year life. Um, it started out as a CIA sponsored program, but the CIA dropped the program and it was picked up again by other intelligence agencies. When Dr. Morehouse was a member of the program, the program was called Sunstreak, and it was under the uh, uh, auspices, if you will, of the Air Force technology and development uh, uh, area. So, throughout its twenty-year history, it was funded by different intelligence agencies, any number of different ones. Okay, so while it started out as a CIA program and it ended as a CIA program, there were a number of other different uh, agencies that were funding it throughout its twenty-year history.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so the teachers, the people who once it became declassified, we haven't talked about that uh, I think it was in 1995, it was declassified, uh, or was it outed on the television program Nightline?
1: The program was always controversial. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: There were a number of high-ranking people in the intelligence services that were very uncomfortable with the program. Uh, These were individuals who were general officers who had fundamentalist religious viewpoints and felt that this was something that really kind of stepped outside their bounds. And so that was one of the primary reasons that throughout its 20-year history, that the program wound up being funded by different agencies mm-hmm. because of the controversy involved. I mean, there was something a little bit strange about the idea of psychics going into altered states and coming back with information. I mean, you got to remember, 200 years ago, they burned burn people at the stake for doing stuff like that. So for those who had a a fundamentalist rant or fundamentalist views on religion, Mm -hmm. this was a little hard to take. And a lot of the uh, agencies that funded it at first wound up dropping it because it was just too controversial.
0: So to to sit in an altered state and to see things outside of space and time was not okay, but killing people was okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. That's what it came down to. Okay. But in 1995, the program again wound up under the auspices of the CIA. And at that time, it was being run by a couple of, by two general officers that had a real negative view of the program. And those were uh, Generals Odom and Soyster. And these two individuals throughout the history of the program had tried to get it canceled. They preferred the money to be spent in more traditional ways. And so when in 1995, the program came back to the CIA, they instituted a review of the program called the AIR review, which brought on board. A number, a couple of different scientists to review the work that was done by the program in order to tell whether or not the program was efficacious or if it was just a waste of time. Problem was, was that none of them were, um, had any real knowledge of the program because. Mm-hmm. 98 percent of the work that the program did was still classified so all they got was some training uh work that had been done and that's pretty much it
0: they didn't get the whole picture
1: really outrageous work that the program had done and so one of the uh people that was on the the committee, uh, Ray Hyman, who was a psychologist, stated that although he felt that there was a real aspect to remote viewing, it was his opinion as a psychologist that it wasn't operationally useful. And then there was Dr. Uh, Jessica Utz, a statistician and head of the the statistics department uh, in one of the uh, U of Cal uh, universities, who stated that unequivocally that there was no question that the effect was real, that mathematically it was unsustainable to say that it wasn't. There was just no question that remote viewing was a real phenomenon. So you had these conflicting Mm -hmm. uh, viewpoints, and so that was enough for Soyster and Odom to get the program canceled. And so in 1995, the program was ended.
0: It was ended, and there was uh, a a few people appeared on the Ted Koppel show Nightline and talked about it, and that's what brought it into the public eye. and got people's attention. And then some of the original um, officers, I'm probably not using the right word, the people, the people in the program, um, they then started teaching it. So I'm thinking about, right, the original remote viewers and Dr. David Morehouse was one of them. Now they weren't all part of the unit for the entire time they'd come in and out right yes and everybody has so different are, stories was, sorry
1: I said some of them were were there longer than others
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but no one actually started at the very beginning of the program all the way through the 20 years to the end of the program as far as I know
0: right and so everybody saw or was there for part of it and they saw what they saw they had their own experience and everybody had a different experience. And so there seems to be a lot of, um, as there is in any field, even in the field of Jungian psychology, there are different factions and then groups and then the groups split and everybody sees their part of it and that's it. And no one sees the whole thing. Because, like you said, no one was there for the whole time. So there are different instructors and a lot of books that have been written by these the members of this unit. And would you say a little bit about the people that you know? Oh, sure,
1: sure. Well, I'll tell you, if, if you're interested in the history of the remote viewing unit, um, which was uh, probably most... Well known by the term Stargate, although it had a number of different um, designations throughout its 20 year history, but it's most popularly uh, referred to as uh, Project Stargate. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, The best two histories out there um, is a book or two books, one of them by um, retired major Paul H. Smith who is a member of the, the remote viewing unit and his book is called, I believe.
0: Are you looking for it, John? <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I'm Googling it.
1: <laughs> uh, I found it. It's reading the enemy's mind.
0: Ah, right.
1: And that's an insider's history of the entire remote viewing unit. It's an excellent read. It's thick, but it's an an excellent insider's view into the program. The other book is by an outsider, uh, Jim Schnabel Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and the name of the book is remote viewers. And both of these books give an insider and an outsider's view of the overall program. And that gives gives you a a really good idea of how this program was run over its 20 year um, life. And then, of course, you have Dr. David Morehouse's um, book, Psychic Warrior,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: gives uh, his own personal um, description of, of his involvement in the program uh, circa 1988, when the program was called Sunstreak. And that was the book that I read that got me interested in viewing.
0: I think that book is out of print now. Uh, it was re-released in 2013. I do have the original paperback that he signed for me, but I did see it on Amazon for like...
2: Yeah, you can get it.
0: Yeah, it's it's on Amazon, though, for $104. That original uh, red and blue book, the original paperback but it was re-released uh, at, at a more affordable price, and I'll provide links to that and the Kindle edition in the show notes for this episode at speakingofyoung.com. And there's another book I'd like to mention, Lynn Buchanan's book, The Seventh Sense. That is actually one of my favorite books.
1: That is an excellent book. Yeah. I mean, you want to, to get an idea of uh, what remote viewing is all about that book um joe McMonagall's mind trek and remote viewing secrets are also two excellent works uh to read uh, uh, paul smith wrote a a good introduction called the essential guide to remote viewing which is also an excellent introduction into What Remote Viewing Entails, and um, there are a number of other books out there uh, written by the various remote viewers. Um, Lynn is an old friend of mine. I was first introduced to him, uh, what, 20 years ago uh, by a friend of mine, Mm -hmm. and we we got to know each other. He was uh, not only a mentor, but also one of my instructors. Who taught me um, uh, various aspects of CRV and remote influencing? So, is he uh, still teaching? Um, I don't believe so. I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't believe he he teaches individual classes. Mm-hmm. I do believe that he's coming out with a online or a what would you call it a. Um, online teaching well not online teaching a um, a DVD set of DVDs okay to teach CRV if I remember correctly okay. I'd have to check to make sure I haven't talked with them in a, in a couple months so
0: so um, all I, of these people that we are mentioning are the original remote viewers from the government right. program prior to 1995 when it was still classified. And so these are the people that I would recommend going to for instruction if you're interested in learning remote viewing. Because as I said before, I like to go straight to the source. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. But of all, um, Dave Morehouse taught for quite some time, um, but he stopped. Mm -hmm. And just recently, this past year, um, started teaching again. However, the unfortunately, the COVID virus has impacted that, as yeah. it has most of the instructors.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I just so, would like to add. Well, let's talk about our experiences with our education and remote viewing. So, was Doctor Morehouse your first remote viewing instructor? Because I'd like to talk about my my journey through several teachers before I found him. But what was your experience?
1: Well, Dave was my first Mm -hmm. uh, instructor, and I was, uh, I would say he was uh, my first, and um, I spent the most time with him of all the instructors. I mean, I've been uh, instructed by both Dave, Lynn, and... Paul um, Skip Atwater, another noted uh, oh, yes. individual in the remote viewing uh, program. And finally, Ingo Swan.
0: Oh, you knew Ingo. Ingo. I didn't know yeah. that.
1: Yes. Uh, Ingo and I first met back in, I believe it was 2000 at an Irva conference, if I remember correctly. But yeah, we spent some time together, and I've taken uh, lectures from him.
0: You know, I've never heard an ill word about that man. He is was so highly regarded and revered. And would you tell the the listeners who aren't familiar with Ingo Swan a little bit about him?
1: Well, in the very beginnings of the program, um, he established himself as a excellent psychic. Mm
0: -hmm. A Um, natural
1: psychic. Yeah, just a natural psychic. And he had some really astounding abilities. And it was he who was employed by the CIA to develop remote viewing, a term that he coined.
0: I think it was originally called remote sensing if I'm not mistaken
1: no that no it was never remote sensing
0: it wasn't okay
1: it was it was simply clairvoyance ESP you know the usual terms and Engel wanted to come up with a term that was descriptive of the process whereby it would Separate from the natural um, descriptions given of psychic functioning, he wanted a he wanted a term that would encompass the artifice, the uh, the scientific protocol, if you will, of the process that he came up with, and so that's when he coined the term remote viewing. Mm-hmm. This was designed to, tell, to show people that this was not just psychic functioning. This was different. This was something that was done within scientific protocol. Mm-hmm. And that made all the difference.
0: And he was the one who first saw the ring around Jupiter before our telescopes picked that up.
1: Yes, that's true. As a matter of fact, uh, that was about six months before the Pioneer mission first entered Jupiter space. And uh, when Ingo did that viewing, the the results of that viewing were sent to six different scientists who unilaterally decided that it was bullshit, that it was crap. Only it turns out, when the the, uh, probe actually entered Jupiter space, that Jupiter did have a ring around it. Mm -hmm. Um, In one of my uh, remote viewings that I did, when I was in Dave Morehouse's extended remote viewing class, uh, the target was the Mars Sojourner rover. Mm -hmm. And when I was in that session, I observed a... Uh, dust Devil. And the Dust Devil had, it looked like energy flowing up through it. And at that time, in, uh, I believe it was late 1999, they weren't sure whether or not there were Dust Devils, since they had not been imaged at that time on Mars. And they had no idea that there was any energy involved other than the dust devil in it. Mm -hmm. It turns out um, about nine months after my session, uh, the um, orbiting probes on Mars actually imaged a dust devil. And not long after that, tests done by the University of Arizona on terrestrial dust devils showed that dust devils were actually highly charged, that the spinning vortex of air tended to separate dust particles, with the heavier dust particles being down low and the lighter ones separating and moving up higher into the vortex. Which caused which cost a um, a charge to develop, and so a high these these dust devils were actually highly charged mm. statically uh, electricity
0: wise. Well, I was just wondering at what point in your training. So this was a practice target. This wasn't an yeah, operational was a target, right? Oh, this was
2: a practice. Target.
0: So at at what point in your training did was this session? How how much uh, experience had you had at that point?
1: Well, I had gone through Dave's um, beginning and intermediate class in um, coordinate remote viewing. And then this was his class in ex- his beginning class in extended remote mm-hmm. viewing, the next follow on um, in his series of classes
0: so let's talk a little bit about the difference between crv and erv crv you're in an alpha state you're sitting up at a desk with pen and paper but in erv you are lying down on the floor covered with a blanket and a blindfold on and headphones kind of like in that movie minority report and the sessions are much longer and you are In a different state. You're in a much deeper state and you are more open and vulnerable.
1: Yes, Uh, extensive remote viewing is uh, quite a bit different Mm -hmm. than coordinate remote viewing. Um, In coordinate remote viewing, you know, you're just in a relaxed state and you just simply um, write down impressions that come into your mind and it's basically a a, a two-part exercise one of detecting where you are open for impressions to come into your mind and then decoding where you objectify those impressions by writing them down on a piece of paper in a specified format but in an extended remote viewing um, they do away with all of that and you use <clears throat> at least uh, the way I was taught it, which was the way that it was done circa 1988 in uh, the project when it was known as Sunstreak, is that you lay down in a um, works what we called a workstation, which was basically an inflatable mattress um, with a sleeping bag on it and a pillow, and you get nice and comfortable. And you put over, uh, an eye shield over your eyes and earplugs in. And Dave would play a pink noise
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, background in order to mask any outside environmental noise. And you basically use breathing exercises to drop down into what is called a hypnagogic state, which is one of very deep meditation And it was there that impressions started to come into your consciousness. The difference between CRV and ERV under these circumstances is that, at least for myself, it usually evinced a bilocation. And a bilocation is simply where you identify so strongly with your target, it's as if you're actually there experiencing everything that you normally would if you were standing next to the target. Mm -hmm. And it can be very real. I mean, you can actually, like when I was on the Mars mission to the Sojourner rover, I felt like I couldn't breathe because the atmosphere on Mars is only one one one-hundredth of the atmosphere here on Earth. So I had this idea that it was very difficult to breathe. Also, I although I was snug in my sleeping bag, I was freezing cold.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's no reason to be freezing cold because the temperature in the room where we were at was 70 degrees and I was in a sleeping bag, Yeah, but I was absolutely freezing cold. Why? Because on Mars, the temperature was probably uh, below freezing. So... It became a very immersive experience in extended remote feeling. Mm-hmm. For those of you out there that, uh, would like to understand what it was like for a skeptic like myself to become an operational remote viewer that actually did operational work. And in, in uh, the course of his, um, experience, uh, there's of course my book, A Sorcerer's Apprentice. There's also Dave Morehouse's book, Psychic Warrior, which gives you an idea what it was like to be in the original uh, Stargate unit.
0: You know what? I just want to add something here. When we were talking about books earlier, through the Freedom of through the Freedom of Information Act, there are documents on the CIA's website about this. And they were released in, I think, 2000, 2008. I downloaded some of them earlier today. And I'm just going to open one right now so that I get this right. Um, this, was, this was 2000. It was approved for release. And it is the Project Stargate um, document the overview that includes the purpose the mission definitions personnel participation um, the primary methodologies categories of taskings the types of targets and this is available online and i will actually put a link to this pdf that i'm looking at right now in the show notes for this episode
1: yes a lot of the um The original documentation that was done by the CIA and the DIA and the Air Force and so on uh, that uh, ran the programs during its 20 year uh, lifetime uh, are now available on the Web. There is also (laughs) a considerable amount that is still classified that has not been released.
0: And that's understandable. I, I am not on board with people who think that the public deserve to know everything or have the right to know everything. I do well, believe. Well, it's just
1: that that, the, that this information is still classified because it's still relevant today. And yeah. It's information that we would rather not have the originators of it find out that we know about it. Mm-hmm. And that was the the really great part of the remote viewing program is that they were able to discover information that was not possible to be gathered by any other mode of intelligence gathering. And this information um, is so important that it hasn't been released today. I mean, if, if the total amount of information that was gathered by the remote viewers was actually released it would be monumentally um amazing i mean just mind-blowing there were some cases that were just well they used to call them uh, seven martini results because after you saw what the remote viewers had done you needed seven martinis to get it through your head
0: and i'm sure you've experienced that i know i have too not the seven martinis but just the being blown away by <clears throat> what i saw in my session um and then getting the target afterwards getting the the feedback
1: the feedback yes, yes
0: and seeing that it was what i yeah, saw
1: there were some sessions that really made it Difficult for me when I first started because it went against everything that I knew. And being trained as a scientist, uh, somebody who you know majors in, in math and, and physics, mm-hmm. this was difficult to reconcile with my belief system. And this caused some anxiety and some issues during my remote viewing because once you've stepped across the gulf, so to speak, of space-time and are able to view an object distant in space and time outside the normal five uh, modes of of sensory uh, ability, it changes you. Yeah. And you're never the same afterwards. And it was the same for me, and it was the same for just about everybody I know of that went through the, uh, the training.
0: Mm-hmm. It makes you more sensitive to everything around you, your surroundings, other people, mm-hmm. other people's thoughts, other people's feelings. Did you find that too?
1: Oh, yes, very much so. Very much so. Um, as, as I explained in my book, uh, I was kind of... Caught between two worlds uh, the world that was familiar to me from my past and the world I was now entering with this new ability and it set up some some conflict with, with myself as I'm sure it did with a number of other people that went through the training it's not it's not easy to realize that your concept of the world isn't correct, Mm -hmm. that it needs to be modified and expanded. The world is uh, a much more sublime uh, place than most people think. It's like uh, the famed um, scientist J.B.S. Haldane said, the universe is not only stranger than you can imagine, it's stranger than you can imagine.
0: I think that one of the other points I'd like to make uh, about the difference between remote viewing and I don't know, something else is in remote viewing. You have to be blind to the target. We don't know what the target is when we're tasked. What's a good example of some of the things that people challenge you to do that aren't remote viewing?
1: Well, like I said earlier, the a lot of people have this misconception that psychic functioning or extrasensory perception is the same thing as remote viewing. Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, as a remote viewer, number one, you never work alone. You
0: Why? never work alone. Mm-hmm.
1: No, never work alone. I always have someone who tasks me. There must be a tasker in remote viewing. Why? Because We work blind. We have no idea what the target is. Mm -hmm. That's the whole idea. If you don't know what the target is, then you can be assured that the information that you are gathering is not what we call front-loaded. It's not information or our imagination that's coming into play here. So a remote viewer just can't choose a target and remote view it. That isn't remote viewing. I mean, you
0: can do that, but it's something else.
1: then sure you can, you can you can use it on whatever target you wish mm-hmm. but remote viewing? No. A remote viewer must be tasked they must have someone to give them a tasking so that they are blind to the target so when I do operational work I work with someone who tasks me I have a tasker Uh, Her name is Amy Waters-Yarsinski. She's a former naval intelligence officer. And I work with her, as does a number of remote viewers that that I trust enough and that have the ability enough to do operational work. One of whom is uh, Sandra Hilliard, an excellent remote viewer in her own right. But in order to do, in order to utilize remote viewing, you have to be blind. So in order to do that, you have to have somebody who does the tasking, Mm -hmm. which separates us from regular psychic function, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like a clairvoyant, for instance. Mm -hmm.
0: And what else is this being used for?
1: Since the program was discontinued as an intelligence uh, asset back in 95, um, there have been a a number of remote viewers that have done operational work like myself, um, usually in search cases, uh, trying to find someone that's missing. Mm-hmm. I did work with Amy in uh, locating Bo Bergdahl, the, uh, special forces soldier that was captured by the Taliban. Uh, I did work on the, um, the case of Captain Michael Scott Spiker, the first pilot shot down during uh, the first Gulf War. I did work on that particular project as well. Uh, I've done other work as well for um, Amy, who had requests from various law enforcement agencies. So it's still used in an operational context, but... It's done through usually third parties. Um, the program, uh, as I said, was discontinued in uh, the U.S. intelligence services, and they still don't use it today. However, I will say that um, my my tasker has received requests from intelligence agencies to get information um, using remote viewing. So while the program itself is not accepted within regular intelligence agency circles, there is still interest in it um, through certain individuals within the intelligence services.
0: I wanted to add that for me, how I, I never told this story just real briefly I became interested in remote viewing because I started listening to Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell back in the 1990s and he had Paul H. Smith and Lynn Buchanan and Joe McMonigle on as guests and 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 Swan
1: I was actually on a show too
0: You were on Coast to Coast AM right um, when your book came out
1: Yeah, only it wasn't with Art Bell, it was with someone
0: else. I think you were were with Dave Schrader.
1: Yeah, I think that
0: yeah, Art was retired at that point, Um, but Art had on the original remote viewers. He did have on Ingo Swan. That's how I knew Mm -hmm. who who he was. And they talk about their books. They talk about the program, and that's how I found out who David Morehouse was. But I actually yeah, I actually started my remote viewing instruction with somebody else that I heard on Coast to Coast AM, Dr. Simeon Hine. Oh, Simeon. Dr. Simeon Hine.
1: Yes, I know him.
0: Yeah, so I went to Boulder and attended his class, and this was back in the good old days when (laughs) we would travel, and I went to Boulder. I stayed in a hotel and went to class every day and did it the old-fashioned way, and then – after that, I I became interested in Courtney Brown. I was actually, uh. I, was, I know, I was looking for another class to take. I, I don't even remember how this happened, but I think this was back in 2003. And the interesting part of this story is that Dave Morehouse was the keynote speaker at the annual Psychotronics Conference that was held in Columbus, Ohio every year. It's now held in Chicago, where I live. But while I was living in Columbus, it was held there. And I went to see him speak, I didn't attend the conference, I just went for his keynote speech. The day before I left to go train with a Farsight Institute instructor in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So I attended Dave Morehouse's lecture, which I have it on cassette tape and I always say it is probably my favorite lecture of anybody ever. And well, he, had
1: a, he had an extraordinary ability to reach uh, people. Yeah. I mean there's just no I mean he's head and shoulders above
2: everyone.
0: For the listeners, you can actually find on his YouTube channel, again I'll put a link to that in the show notes. His company it still exists. It's called Remote Viewing Technologies. They have a YouTube channel. There are only five videos and two, actually three of his talks uh, that he gave, one was in Toronto, one was in, I don't know, California somewhere. And you can get a sense for how he speaks. And he's brilliant. And he's a brilliant speaker. And Anyway, so I went and saw him at the psychotronics conference. Again, I attended that lecture. It was the day before I left. So the the next day, I didn't even want to go at that point. I left for Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I attended a, I don't even remember how long the class was. It was several days, I think. And it was not very good. I was very unhappy because after listening to Dr. Morehouse, I knew that I wanted to train with him, but I had already booked this trip and, you know, had my airline tickets and my hotel and everything and reserved my spot in this class. And I went through it and I don't remember much about it, but when I got back, I signed up for... Uh, Dr. Morehouse's courses, and I went out to California a bunch of times, and then I actually went to the University of British Columbia. That's where I took his ERV class, Ah. and that was a week, and we stayed in the dorms, and that was such an intense experience. I'll never forget that. And for everybody who knows my email address, the RV does not stand for recreational what is that called the vehicle. recreational vehicle it stands for remote viewing
1: same thing with my my um uh, my email address i have rv sorcerer's apprentice it doesn't stand for recreational well, vehicle.
0: mine it, my email address is rv kitty because in ERV when we are lying down on our backs in a sleeping bag or covered up with a blanket we get very cold and I wore a scarf and a hat and I didn't have a hat so I bought a knit hat with this cat on it it was the it was black because I only wore black it was the only one I could find and it had kind of like this angry cat face on the hat so people started calling me kitty So I got the nickname RV Kitty, and that became my email address. So that was like back in 2003, 2004, and I've Mm. had that email address ever since. So I've never wanted to change it because so many people have it. um, Well,
1: tell me, working with Dave was just the the most amazing time of my life. Yeah. I spent over a 1,000 hours with him in Mm. class. I kept track
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, first as a student, and then later as an assistant instructor.
0: Yeah, I meant to mention that that you were one of his teaching assistants. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, the guy is just amazing. It's
0: yeah. just he's brilliant.
1: As a remote viewer, he's just top notch. Mm-hmm. I've seen him do things that were just amazing. Mm-hmm. And as a as a uh, a lecturer, yeah. I mean, you're looking at Top-notch, just top-notch.
0: Yeah. Again, I highly recommend his talks that are available on YouTube.
1: Yeah, they are just excellent, Mm -hmm. just excellent. And he's probably done more for remote viewing than probably anybody else Mm -hmm. in terms of bringing it to the public Mm -hmm. in a systematic and intelligent way rather than others.
0: He has a huge heart. And he cares about people, and he cares about um, the fate about of humanity.
1: That, um, that come to his courses. He is just uh, an amazing, amazing gentleman. And I will add that uh, the other remote viewers that teach, that were part of the program, are amazing gentlemen, too. Mm-hmm. Paul and Lynn and uh, Ingo and Skip and uh, the others were all amazing people, too. And they've pretty much kept the heart and soul, if you will, of remote viewing going long after the program died in, in the CIA. So all need to um, be mentioned as people that uh, are outstanding in their own right as well.
0: Yes. So if any of you are are thinking of taking getting instruction in remote viewing, I highly recommend you go to one of the original viewers um, that were mentioned here today by uh, John and myself. Okay. so I think I'm going to wrap it up.
1: Sounds like a plan.
0: Thank you again, John.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure as always. You Mm, know that.
0: (laughs) Really do appreciate your time. Please visit the website Speaking of Jung, that's J-U-N-G, dot com, for more information on everything that was discussed in this episode. There you'll also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. This podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to this episode on your Amazon Echo device, simply by saying, Alexa, play Speaking of Jung on Apple Podcasts, or tune in. Just be sure to pronounce Jung with a hard J. So with special thanks to Dave and Patty Morehouse, this is Laura London, and you've been listening to a special quarantine edition of Speaking of Jung.